Hello, my name's Heather, and this is my posh boyfriend, Max. Hello. And this is our podcast, Posh Things My Boyfriend Says. So here we are, having just uh, started an interesting conversation at dinner. Yeah, we were just having dinner, then we had to rush in here and start recording. We were sort of riffing on money, basically. Money and jobs money 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 exactly money. <laughs> who even sings that no idea i only know it because of a family guy sketch yeah some of the things that we were just hitting on there were why it is that people have different attitudes to spending yeah so so to give a bit of context yeah you are not known <laughs> as the the spenniest man no i'm a i'm a thrifty individual you are quite thrifty yes very thrifty i would say sometimes to a fault yeah i'm also pretty thrifty and resourceful but we're kind of reflecting on how recently um i've i've got a bit of extra spending money basically and um I've gone a bit mad with it, <laughs> buying lots of skincare, some deck chairs with bees on it. All the good stuff, all, all the life essentials. Essential stuff. Yeah. And we were kind of talking about how I, I feel a little bit guilty yes. about doing that and don't really know why I'm doing it because all these things, like, you know, definitely don't need. Yeah. And yeah, then we sort of talked about, well, we're both thrifty. So, but in you, different ways. In different ways, yeah. So this is, I think that we identified a couple of really interesting, like, border posts, as it were, which is at one end of the spectrum, you said your mum doesn't ever buy anything that's not reduced no, in some way. she loves a bargain. I'm convinced it's some sort of hunter-gatherer instinct, but actually it comes out in the sales section of Asda at George. <laughs> Right, but I'm going to go out on a limb, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think that might be part of a product, because you've described when you were growing up how she had to make some extremely difficult choices. Mm. Yeah, you know, we at various points, uh, you know, I, I remember my mum mentioning to me that there were times when she she could not afford to heat the house, and it was a choice between eating and heating. Yeah. Um, and I remember that period of my life quite vividly so what's important or significant about that is that when now she says oh i'm not going to get anything unless a bargain that's that's probably like a bit of a learned habit and from yeah. necessity and she's pointed out to you quite a few times like you might not be 100 percent happy in your job but you've got a stable job hang on to it you've got security mm. and there's like that attitude and then at the other end of the spectrum my dad also <laughs> well, dad loves, loves a, bargain. a bargain the whoopsie section at the co-op is like <laughs> heaven for him the whoopsie the whoopsie section oh well, that's an asda reference what's that like um that's what they mark on the yellow stickers really so they write it, whoopsie on them. whoops yeah i don't know why that's <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> me not okay amazing um but yeah like yellow yellow sticker festivals just loves it yeah gets in there um <laughs> And as I mentioned before, mum loves a charity shop. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that no, they both come um, from a perspective, certainly mm-hmm. over the last, whatever it is, 30 years, of basically being able to afford whatever really they want. Yeah. 
And so that's really interesting because you can then like choose to be really frugal. Mm. And so you end up kind of in the same place, which is where you might target reduced sections and bargains, but for very different reasons. Yeah, it's the difference between making do out of choice and making do out of need. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah, I think you're really on something with that. There's no, um, there's no dignity in doing it out of. Yeah, like to. if you're doing all, all your shopping out of a, in a charity shop. Mm, yeah. And because you have to, then yeah, that, that you're right. That would sort of there would be indignity in that, um, and that would feel uh, awful. But if you sort of that are there because it's a bit of a lark to go and find a Fun good hobby. deal, yeah. That, I think that's so interesting. So I guess what, so so people might do the same thing, but they just experience it very differently. Yeah. And then I guess there's like a middle ground that you've kind of just found yourself in, which is I've got this money. Yeah. It's quite novel having this money that I've earned, that I've got lots of disposable income. And you're not in a position where you need to sort of hold on to it or squirrel it away. So you're like, yeah, boom, spending spree time. Um, mm. Whereas I... Uh, <laughs> definitely don't take that approach never really have and I just think that's really interesting because we were discussing as well kind of how we got into this is thinking again on what it might mean actually to be posh mm. and I said I think it has to be multi-generational by which I mean I think you kind of have to be born into a bit of money or a bit of a dynasty or like a family farm or you know, a name or something. Yeah. So if you aren't and then you acquire off your own back wealth, then there's a propensity, I guess, maybe to spend it more and in different ways. Maybe. There's a little bit that sort of troubles me with that narrative, which is like, oh, when working class people get some money, they're not sensible with it. And therefore they're perpetuating their own status in Mm -hmm. life by not choosing to kind of invest it wisely or or whatever that thought is but I I find that quite difficult because it's one if I think about my financial education growing up as a child I always had it drilled into me about budgeting the one of the best lessons my granddad ever taught me was we were on holiday and he gave me a budget of like $5 a day or something like mm, that. Mm. Um, and I remember seeing something that I wanted to buy. It was $15. And I said to him, Granddad, I want to buy that. Can I have my money, please? And he said, well, you've only got $5 for today. And I said, yeah, but I've got more that you're going to give me tomorrow and the day after. So I'll just, I'll have that now. Yeah. And he said, but that's borrowing. How do you know I'm definitely going to give you that tomorrow and the day after? So here's what you can do. You can make a choice and you can buy that now, but I'm not going to give you any more money for the next three days, not the next two or something. Clever. Um, And I I don't know, I must have been about eight or nine. And that lesson of budgeting, of it's the don't count your chickens before they've hatched. Yeah, yeah. Type um, lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I always remember him, you know, teaching me that lesson. Yeah. so so I've always had a very good financial education from my family about how you manage your money and live within your means. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have an education of 
when you've got extra money, here's what you do with it. Here's how you make more money. Right. And I remember my mum always saying, money comes to money. Yes. And it's right. The more money you've got, even in really simple terms, it's cheaper to be wealthier. Yes. You can buy things in bulk, for example. You have the space to store it. And, you know, per toilet roll in Costco, it's, you know, half the price than if you were buying it, you know, in a four pack from Sainsbury's because you happen to have two quid but you don't have the 15 pounds to buy it from Costco in a massive pack that's ultimately cheaper. Yeah, per unit, absolutely. Yeah, I think, isn't there a bit about this in Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit? Yes, that, I remember, you're thinking of something from Terry Pratchett novel. There we go, same, same. Same, same. Exactly Terry the same Pratchett, as Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings The Hobbit, <laughs> help. Um, no, so, so from, <laughs> from the novel Men at Arms, we were discussing this a while ago. Well remembered. There's this great section where um, the like the captain of the local police force, Sam, mm. is getting married to Sybil Ramkin, who's this like aristocrat in in the fictional world. But it's amazing the class commentary on this. Exactly what we're talking about. There's a scene that says this: Sam had learned something new. The very very rich could afford to be poor. Sybil Ramkin lived in the kind of poverty that was only available to the very rich. A poverty approached from the other side. Women who were merely well off, saved up and bought dresses made of silk, edged with lace and pearls. But Lady Ramkin was so rich, she could afford to stomp around the place in rubber boots and a tweed skirt that had belonged to her mother. (laughs) She was so rich, she could afford to live on biscuits and cheese sandwiches. She was so rich, she lived in three rooms in a 34-roomed mansion. The rest of them were full of very expensive and very old furniture covered in dust sheets. The reason that the rich were so rich, Vimes reasoned, was because they managed to spend less money. Hmm. So this is what you're talking about. Take Boots, for example. He earned $38 a month plus allowances. A really good pair of leather boots cost $50. But an affordable pair of boots, which was sort of okay for a season or two and then leaked like hell when the cardboard gave out, cost about $10. Mm. Those were the kind of boots Vimes always bought and wore until the soles were so thin he could tell where he was in Ankh-Morpork on a foggy night by the feel of the cobbles. But the thing was that good boots lasted for years and years. A man who could afford $50 had a pair of boots that'd still be keeping his feet dry in 10 years' time, Mm. while a poor man who could only afford cheap boots would have spent $100 on boots in the same time and would still have wet feet. This was the Captain Samuel Vines boots theory of socio-economic unfairness. (laughs) I'm laughing because... Just one, it's absolutely perfect Mm. and describes far more eloquently than I can the exact sort of thing that I'm talking about. But two, I often take the piss out of you for the fact that you've got holes in your trainers. And you, (laughs) when we first started dating, (laughs) you had this pair of navy trainers that had a hole in the toe the entire time. And then I think about the time we moved in together, maybe you revealed to me that you had the exact same pair of trainers new in a box ready to go (laughs) when this particular pair gave out but you refused to swap them over and those have now started to develop a hole in the toe so 
that theory is absolutely right, but yeah. you still go for the buy cheap, buy to, buy to <laughs> that, well, option. Well, yeah, but, but it goes back to what we were saying, I think, when we talked about fashion, that I've got those, but then I've also got welly boots at home that I think are really old that have a couple of holes in because they've been around forever, and yeah. my grandfather's um, barber and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like a funny, weird mix where, like, I'm not that keen on putting down <laughs> the money myself for, like, expensive <laughs> new things you know, I'm not going to buy a Patek Philippe and hand it down the generations like that awful marketing slogan suggests. <laughs> um, but if there's, you know, uh, stuff kicking around that I can inherit, then that's wonderful. And there, there often is. Yeah. Um, so this goes back to the other big point about spending that we were talking about, that like our theory is developing. So as I said, I reckon that it has to be multi-generational. I'm not sure you can be first generation posh. Oh, right, okay. And I think a big part of that when it comes to spending and money dynamic is I think that when you are born into a family that has wealth or that has, like, a sense of dynasty about it, you grow up feeling this sort of sense of obligation of maintenance. And Mm, it's about... You don't want to fritter away... It's legacy. What, this is it, yeah. Mm. You don't want to fritter it away. You don't want to risk it. You... And we'll talk about jobs maybe another time. But you sort of just stay at a nice pace. And you earn a good amount. And you don't go crazy with it. And that's all part of maintenance. Whereas I would imagine that if you didn't have... Sort of family behind you and, you know, some money there and stuff like that... The propensity to go off and do different things, and maybe harking back to our big letter from last week, trying to become a self-made billionaire. Actually, if I think some of the really prominent guys, like Alan Sugar and all the people that were named in the letter, yeah. a lot of them came from nothing. And maybe there's something to do with that. Maybe there's a bit more oomph and a bit more willing to go and get it and take the risk yeah. compared to the maintenance. You've got nothing to lose, sort of. Yeah. I I think that's really interesting. It's definitely one school of thought. It's not a school of thought that I think I was brought up in. And there's definitely there's definitely opportunities that I think I haven't taken. Right. Because the risk of failure in those things means like financial ruin. That's interesting. And so when you're just about okay, you really don't want to do anything to rock the boat. Mm. You don't want to do anything that upsets your situation. It goes back to, you know, what you were saying that my mum's advice has always been of like, you've got a great job. Yeah, hold on it's to a it. job for life. Yeah. Hold on to it. Um, because I guess, you know, from experience, you know how terrible that can be when you don't know where your next bit of money is coming from. Yeah. Um. So I think there is a sort of, a brand um, of being working class where you just go, fuck it, I'm going to put all of my money into this thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, And to me, those examples are more the exceptions that prove the rule. Yeah. I think you're far more likely to become wealthy, maybe not the wealthiest person in the UK, but, you know, certainly very wealthy by most people's standards if you've got a bit of money behind you where you know that you can take bigger risk because in bigger risk there's bigger reward well and that goes back to your mum's expression like money Money attracts money money. so taking it back then to 
the basic premise of what is being posh about and what are its markers and does it mm. matter. In episode one, we said, well, I said, money's a part of it, but not all of it. Which I think that's is basically right. what we're talking about now. And, East egg versus West egg, if you remember that. <laughs> I do remember. Clear lesson. It's still lost on me as a reference. Um, <laughs> I will go on another limb and suggest that if you gave a quote-unquote posh person and a not posh person the same amount of money, if you just gave them a big bunch of cash, they'd spend it very differently. That's interesting. So if, uh, let's do a little thought experiment. Yeah. Man comes along and gives you a thousand pounds for free. Yeah. What do you do with that money? Save it. For what though? Just, just to have it. What, like, what's the point though? <laughs> Retire a bit earlier. I don't know. What, like, that, that would be my instinct. Just lock it down. Bang, really? Pop it in. Like, so, I, mm. I love working towards maxing out my ices every year. <laughs> Bloody magic. And I, th- I do think that it might just be me. I might just be really weird with this. I mean, stuff. you are pr- like your, even your friends will joke that you're tight. <laughs> you know, moths coming out the old wallet, sort of. Yeah. Thing. Um, but but yeah, again, I personally just this is all all this stuff is anecdotal and, and personal to us. But I just think, as I say, it goes back to some of that maintenance stuff. Mm. So so for me, sorry, go on. It just goes back to that maintenance thing. And like you were describing, the way that one was brought up, um, I guess there was a bit more focus on, you know, here's an early savings account for like your first account and here's how investing works. Like I can definitely think of friends of mine uh, that describes himself as coming from a working class family Mm. who has openly said to me a couple of times like, oh, I wish that my parents had explained stuff like investment to me yeah. the way they have to you. And yeah, I think think about multiple examples of people saying that. Again, that might just be my parents. I might just be super lucky. But I get a sense mm. that that's probably more likely in upper middle class yeah. families. So, so let's talk about that actually, because one of the things that I have noticed is people are funny talking about money, right? Sure. So the fact that we're even having this conversation, I think is actually quite refreshing. There's a lot like of... all of our podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of stigma around how much you earn. Sure. And being sort of vocal and discussing that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stigma of speaking out if you are in difficulty in, yeah. in any way. And that is in no way a class thing. So the stigma around getting into trouble with money mm. has such pervasive mental health impacts that cut across all class structures yeah everybody who's been in that situation of not knowing how you're gonna pay your rent or your mortgage or buy food or pay your heating bill or make your loan repayment knows the same feeling like that feeling is consistent across people regardless of class Sure. So I think it's a really good thing to talk about money. Yeah. But one thing that I observed when I was growing up is that I always knew how much my mum earned. And my friends who were kind of middle class had no idea about how much their parents earned. And yeah. they had no idea about their sort of family financial situation. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think, I think in my family, my mum always did me a big favor I think by keeping lots of things transparent to me so that you know I could learn how to manage some of this stuff and if you know I ever fell on hard times like I would always I was always fully equipped to 
manage a situation like that and stay independent Mm. so I like question to you was talking about money ever a conversation that you had not as a family no I think even now getting down to specifics is uncommon yeah I think Mm. you're absolutely right with that yeah I think that you've got me there that's that's right I don't know why but I I guess there's yeah a certain sort of distance around that subject Mm. and it's sort of dealt with and you will be presented with certain information like here's how much you know your allowance is and here's how much this that and the other might be but yeah you're not like privy to the the grand overview there's not mm. like an AGM at which you get the accounts or anything like that. No, no, no. no Here's that's... how fam- family PLC is doing. Yeah. Um, and I no, I think you've made a good point there. That, that's very interesting. Another really interesting thing that occurred to me, um, going back to our uh, roots as a dating podcast, is that you in the past have mentioned... Um, feelings about or concerns about sort of a potential like gold digger mm. aspect yeah to going out with someone like me yeah what what was that about <laughs> i'm worried that people will think that i'm like with you for your money um well number one i've got a very tight grip ever... on the cash yeah. <laughs> that's going yeah. nowhere not uh, that you ever spend it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if you did come to me for money and lavished gifts and stuff, this you've you've made a terrible mistake. I'm so sorry. Very uh, poorly misjudged. I'm moving out immediately. No, but that's really interesting that you even because I don't think that's ever been suggested to oh, you. No, absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, darling, you speak for yourself. You're such a catch, you know, even <laughs> if you're in poverty. Um, I'd still want to be with you. But I mean, this probably speaks to my own insecurities about it, to be honest. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't... Yeah, I wouldn't ever want you in particular and yeah. your family to ever think that money was ever a consideration in, in like our relationship. It definitely also... Because of that worry, I almost feel like I overcompensate for it. Right. Like, I'm always a big believer in paying my own way anyway. Yeah. I've always offered to, you know, split food on dates and... Well, that's lucky, because otherwise we wouldn't have got very far. (laughs) We should do a little section sometime on the fact that I was always adamant about not buying... Yeah, and I remember this really awkward moment on our third date. We'd been to the cinema and then went to get... um, I think we went for sushi Oh, we did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had this, oh my God, like toe-curlingly cringy moment when the bill came and I went to get it or like, you know, I went to put my card down as well. And you were like, oh, well, shall I get it or not? And I was like, well, like, if you want to or something. And I don't, we ended up talking about it and it was so weird. And there was this really strange atmosphere. And I was like, okay, yeah, it'd be great if you could buy me dinner. That's lovely. You know, we'd been on three dates. Yeah. That's okay. Um, And you went so quiet. I think that, I think that was you, the first time yeah, I'd ever done it. You, the first time you'd ever bought anybody dinner yeah so it took me this is gonna sound um weird it took me until i was like 28 29 to finally accept that despite everything 
girls still love it if you buy them the dinner or the drinks and that it can it can mean a lot and it helps a lot more than not doing it and I think that when we met I was like well I really don't want to get this off on any kind of wrong foot or jeopardize this so I'm just gonna suck it up Um, so this wasn't, you know, no, no, please let me get it. It's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I have a really expressive face that you can read really well now. And I think that you would have just seen agony. Yeah. Transparent. It was a bizarre moment. <laughs> um, but I thought that I would step up to the plate and pay for this meal because, God damn it, I was putting down a line that I was, you know, really serious about this, hopefully going somewhere and that we were, you know, <laughs> going to do date number four. But yeah, that was the first time I'd ever done it. I remember when I was dating, offering to go and buy a round of drinks on a date and this guy just looked at me and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, well, it's my round. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, great, fine, whatever. But presumably he always paid them. Yeah, I think so. See, guys, rounds are the way, any single people listening, rounds are the way to do dates. Don't go on dinner dates because they're weird and the girls feel can feel quite sort of trapped by the whole, you know... If it's early on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is early stages of dating. And cinema's stupid because you can't talk, etc, etc, etc. Bar or pub for drinks so you can do rounds is definitely the way to do... The, the way to do it. Because it's even Stevens. And every time there's that, well, should we get another one moment? That's a great moment to measure how well it's going. And if the other person says, yeah, let's get another one, you, do, you know you're doing okay. There, that's free dating advice for me. And God damn it, that's good stuff. Do the rounds thing. And then and then because there's no like bill presented, you never have to get into the awkwardness of who's gonna no, pay and that, how we that's split. a good thing. It's I mean brilliant. from my perspective, it's a good thing to know, okay, well if I've gotten one back, I owe him nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's great. And that so well, we've strayed into I was presented um on Twitter, somebody got in touch, we were discussing intersectionality, mm. which was a term I don't really understand well, I have to admit. But we really sort of t- you and I you explained it quite well to me. And we're touching here on feminism as it intersects with class. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna write definitely. maybe a new jingle, da 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 intersectionality. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is super interesting because I think that part of the I'm going to pay and I want to make sure I'm paying my own way, etc. that you were describing, is also a bit of a feminism thing, which I really respect. That's that's feminism that I can get on board with. Well, yeah, that's because you don't have to spend money. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> if feminism means I don't have to pay for very much, then that's excellent. Yeah, it's hard to know how much sort of, I guess, my views on this are influenced by the class thing or yeah. the feminism thing, or just like I've been brought up in a family of very strong, independent women who yeah. not are anti-feminist by by any means, but it's it's separate from feminism. Right. It's it's like not ever having to rely on a man mm. um, for anything that you want to do or achieve in life. Like you do it yourself and you're outspoken yeah. and, um, you know, men should be under the thumb. Like actually there's a little bit of misandry in there, um, which personally I don't think is a big part of feminism. Right. And I think the sort of misandrist 
perspective is always lobbied at feminists like you know militant feminism mm, that's mm, always man the haters yeah, yeah man haters uh, that's you know, the that's... simple translation of misandry yeah <laughs> but i love that you use but, that word it's but isn't it interesting that people know what a misogynist is but not what a misandrist is quite um it's because it's you know not very not very prevalent yeah um anyway i've gone off on a total ramble but yeah the range um, rover is off the off the road and yeah. very much careering <laughs> down um but no it's 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 really hard to understand how much of my perspective on these things is a feminist issue and how much is a class issue there's a great podcast called the guilty feminist Mm. um i think she's australian uh the woman who hosts it and she talks about all of the things that makes her feel like a guilty feminist and i think one of the things that she talks about is like i quite enjoy having dinner paid for me this is it um i'm not saying that like i think yours is a little bit of a cross-cutting remark that you know women just generally like this whether they say they do or not um there's a lot of things that i have uh, that i take issue with that sort of statement but um you know from a personal perspective and i can only talk from my perspective after a couple of days i think it's a really nice gesture And it's something that I have also done when we've been on dates and wanted to pay for dinner. Yeah. Or said, you know, we're we're going uh, we're going to play crazy golf. Oh, that Uh, was good. um, You know, I like I want to get this or I want to get the cocktails and and it's um and it's a thing later on in dating for me that it's like a no, I want I want to. It's a way of displaying your affection. Mm. I remember talking once with an old colleague who's one of the most um, competent people I've ever worked with. And she, I remember us once talking about a programme which followed people who were on benefits. Yeah. And there was a moment in the programme where it was a young couple that, you know, they were living in like a, a studio flat. They were on benefits, et cetera, et cetera. It was following their life. And it was Valentine's Day. And this, the guy got the girl the biggest card you could buy. The absolutely huge. And I remember my colleague and I having this conversation about how the size of the card that you buy being an important factor in displaying how much you love or care for that person. Interesting. And that that's, I don't know whether it is a working class thing or not, or like a having no money thing. Maybe it is because it's, it's a way of showing like, you know, resources are scarce, but here's what I choose to spend some of those resources on to like show how much I love and care for you. Mm. Um, And it really brought it home to me that I didn't realize that that's something I used to do all the time. I'd buy my mum the biggest birthday card that I could get her because I wanted her to know how much I loved her or, you know, what have you. So it's kind of interesting, this, the whole being bought things and how it conveys love or not and and you know as you grow up I don't think that is I don't think that is the case you know I appreciate all of the smaller things that you do for for me and for us in our relationships that that don't cost anything but there's definitely still a little bit of me in the back of my head that's like big cards mean you love me more I'm so sorry to disappoint on that (laughs) one 
when I have to remind you to buy me to a buy any card. card at all. That is so interesting. And that goes, yeah. I think, maybe that goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is that I do think that um, working class people maybe manifest their, like, the wealth that they do earn in a different way because there's sort of a thing of, well, look, look, I've got it now. I've earned mm. this, so therefore I'm going to buy this thing with it. So say, to me, when you earn money, what you do with it is you stash it. Whereas yeah. I think that there's whole other segments of society where if you earn money, you spend it on things. Yeah, because, you know, the old saying, you can't take it with you. Right, which, I mean, is absolutely true. But <laughs> Enjoy I, I'm, it while you've got I'm it. just like a fucking squirrel with nuts. <laughs> just <laughs> bury them away, stash. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right if it's presented as a neutral statement, but so often there's so much moral judgment placed on people and how they choose to spend their money. So that was our meandering walk through discussion of money and spending and what it means in class and relationships. The interesting thing about all of this conversation and like we've been sat here talking, I think it's a great thing that we're having the conversation and I'm quite used to talking about money. Um, but it does make me feel a bit awkward, um, as as always, I guess, when, when we're having a chat on the podcast, where I sort of present a view of the working classes and, you know, can say I speak for everybody. I certainly don't think that that's... Yeah, sure. I, I certainly don't think that that's the case. So I'd be quite interested to see if other people are from working class families, like, was talking about money more of a thing in your household than other people that yeah. you know because that definitely seems to be a thing mm. from my perspective be quite nice to kind of sense check a lot of um a lot of this i would love it if we heard from you guys if anyone else out there dates or is in a relationship that cuts across classes has this issue, has this issue come up at all yeah. like do does anyone else recognize that slight um concern that heather's described there about um you know what people might think your motives are or if it's come up as an issue is anyone else suffering under the neglect of (laughs) a posh boyfriend that doesn't doesn't buy them anything you're very generous Uh, in other ways darling uh, well that's very kind um so yeah there's a really great um i'll just finish on this point um which we haven't really covered which is um how you manage your relate, how you manage your money in the relationship yeah. when you're in a more serious relationship and your finances are a little bit more intertwined, mm. I find absolutely fascinating. So some people, for example, split everything fifty fifty. Some people split things based upon the proportion of their earnings in the household you know 60 40 depending on what somebody earned or not god that's transactional it's very transactional um i think it's an interesting kind of thing to end on of i wonder whether our various approaches to speaking about finances and about money Mm. ends up impacting on the day-to-day bits of the relationship that is interesting as always guys we'd love to hear from you um, on that point and any of the others um, as I say money matters but maybe it shouldn't who knows if you want to get in touch and share your thoughts uh, and um, experiences uh, and have any questions or contributions in this area you can email us on 
poshthings, my boyfriend says, at gmail.com. Or you can slide into our DMs on Twitter and Instagram. At, at poshthingsmy. And before you do slide into the DMs, follow us too. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening. And we will see you again next week. Ta-ra! Bye. Bye. <laughs> honestly <laughs> it's addled my brain this was such a good point i'm so oh, glad yeah. we've got something for the easter egg point which is you talking about wine and not me <laughs> yeah it's my turn um uh